0: when I I look at people and I see nothing worth liking I want to earn enough money I can get away from everyone
1: what will you do about your boy I don't know Welcome once again to the Cinephiles, where today we continue our exploration of Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing
2: instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a writer, uh, producer and host on the Outlaw Nation and here uh, co-host and voiceover guy as well. And I'm excited to be uh, pulling out a milkshake and getting back into There Will Be Blood. I'm ready.
1: And I am excited to welcome back to our microphones, Emmy Award-winning sound editor, John Greber. Welcome hey, back to the files. thanks
0: for having me back. I can't wait to uh, wrap this one up.
1: <laughs> uh, me too. And, and before we jump in, I just have one question, because I've been editing our, our previous part, and I realized there was something that maybe that I thought I was 100% sure about, and now I'm not 100% sure about. Ooh. My question is, who is H.W.? Where did he come from? What is his relationship to Daniel? Well, we
0: can't know anything more than knowing that he was presumably the child of a man yeah. who Daniel hired to mine for silver.
1: Right. Okay. That's what I thought, too. But then as we were talking about it in our previous part, it almost seemed like there was some ambiguity or that we – that. Well, obviously, there's ambiguity, but more than mm. like there was some mention of like maybe it could have actually been Daniel's biological son. Oh, uh, um, and uh, which isn't what I think. But I oh was curious if that was what. No, either I, you think. I think one of
0: you suggested that, which kind of blew my mind. I thought oh, that was okay. a cool kind of possibility. I, I, we just don't know. You know, yeah. I mean, I, but I, I like to assume there's a bit of Machiavellian uh, opportunism of him <laughs> snatch, snatching the child as his to use for his business efforts. But, you know, I guess it could
1: be his boy. It, what's so funny is I, of course, always assumed that it was just this random guy's kid that was working on the rig mm-hmm. who died. But then I, I was suddenly going, oh, we actually we don't we don't know. There's no speaking. We yeah. don't know anything. Right. Um. And we don't, we certainly don't know where mom is. Right. Okay. I just wanted to kind of bring that up before we jump back in. Where we left off, Daniel Plainview had just totally publicly disrespected Eli while not allowing him to bless the Derek. Mm. And now we're heading down to a celebration uh, where all the community is gathered. There's music, kids are playing, there's food. And Daniel Plainview talks to Mary and in this very sort of sweet scene at first
2: (laughs) is asking
1: her if her dad still hits her and he's not going to. And he says, I'll take care of you. No more hitting, right? No more hitting. Go play some more. Don't come back. And then the camera moves. and We realize that dad has been sitting next to them this whole time. Yeah. What the hell's
2: happening in this scene? <laughs> I think this is a power move, honestly. And this is like he's almost angry at the old man for having birthed that son. And so in a way, mm. he's kind of going back at uh at Eli Sunday's dad and uh you know, making sure that he understands that he is now the power in this town, not Eli, not anything related to Eli and and uh just kind of reaffirming who the hell he is at least that's what i thought every time
0: absolutely I and it no. kind of it's just a yet another example of the competition that is yeah. daniel plainview it's just another opportunity because the leverage is really high right now it's really mm-hmm. high that Derek's there and he capitalizes on that because he knows he can and dad just can't do anything but sit yeah. there and take it
2: yeah exactly and you can so, tell the look on his face too he's like yeah.
1: you know I have two two other questions because that's that's exactly what I think too. I totally agree. Does he care about Mary at all? <laughs>
2: I think in his mind he does. I think that's a kind of the warped perception he because because like you said he's he's so driven to achieve that he thinks he has the regular human emotions that everyone else does. But as we see uh, later on when his brother quote unquote brother shows up, there is this real uh, uh, dearth of of Uh, emotional connection to anybody remotely connected to his life and so i think he's he doesn't understand that he's using mary in that moment um because he thinks he's doing something good he thinks he's doing the right thing by kind of going back at this guy and going back in essence at the elders of the town to stop abusing these young children in their town
0: totally agree exactly
2: there's a thing
1: uh I don't know how quite how to put it. Sometimes humans can harness negative aspects of their personalities to do good things. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a big ego and you want to be the center of attention, and then you build a hospital where you're the hero, but it was it, your motivation might have been negative, but your the thing mm-hmm. you did was positive. And mm-hmm. I think there are times where Dan, that's true of Daniel Plainview to some yeah. degree. The other question I would put out, I don't expect an answer, but I kind of want to think about it as we move forward. Who was Daniel Plainview's father
2: and what was he like? You're a little obsessed with the family stuff today. This is an interesting part of, uh, of this uh, part two stuff. I, I, don't, I would imagine that he was he was a cold man. He was a distant man. John, I don't know what you think, but that's that's the feeling I have and maybe died young as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, before I go to the father thing, I just had this sort of thought of like, you know, the the does he care about Mary? And that question, I kind of see Daniel viewing his life as almost a um, you know a game field, a football field. And every advancement, there's opportunities like you can do well here, you can knock the guy down, or you can move forward, or you might be pushed back. But I almost think he sees in a not maybe psychopathological way or antisocial way. He just mm. sees everything as an opportunity. And yeah, he's going to choose to look good all mm-hmm. the time if he can. Like, oh, wow. no more hitting. Because it, it's easy for him in the moment. He knows it is. It's a win. It makes mm-hmm. people like him more. At least it makes someone like him more. Yeah, And he sees that he can win that. And I just see that as, as just another competition. So I think he's just – does he care about Mary? Sure. Yeah. On some level he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but not enough to really do anything about it. If it was going to, you know, be detrimental to him Yeah. as far as his father, you know, I can only see someone like Daniel playing a view, but horribly, horribly worse. That's just what it feels like to me. Yeah.
2: And maybe not as successful, not as yeah. driven. Right. You know right. And he, he
0: resents he's, that and he's yeah. going gonna to show him and he's going to yeah. succeed.
1: I, I think a hundred percent, I think his father is a failure. I think his father was a drunk, and I think his father mm. beat him. Yeah. Mm. And I don't think his father died young, because mm. when Henry shows up, and we'll get to this, he tells him, our father died. So, oh, right. So his father, So cause, My because, bad. And, the, and the reason I think this is important is Daniel Plainview is a self-made man mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who left, I think, fairly young from his father mm. and probably from a not-so-good situation. What's really interesting, and I, 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 it's such a weird transition, is we see at this party, Daniel takes a big swig from his flask, and then we cut to, it uh, looks like he's passed out face down on the floor. Mm-hmm. So this is our first indication that this guy can get his drink on, mm-hmm. you know, in a serious way. Yeah, yeah. And he's woken up by his right-hand man that someone has died in the well. Yeah. And we hear kind of the description and then we see how it happens and it's just so awful. Mm-hmm. S- similar to the way that H.W.'s uh, father died.
2: Oh yeah, right, right, right.
1: And they're dragging out the, the body and and by the way, it seems pretty clear someone dying on these jobs, this is not a terribly unusual occurrence. Right, <laughs> sure. And we open, it, he, we open up kind of the box of obviously this guy's possessions and there is that white paper cross in there that this is the person that Eli's people blessed when they came to the well the first time
2: Mm.
1: and then we're at the church and the design of this space is so cool there's slats so that the light from outside is shining in and and, and by the way technically this is sort of difficult because you're creating there's a lot of spaces in this movie where we're inside but we're lit from the outside by natural light Mm -hmm. and this is not something that generally just happens. Like you have to get a lot of light inside the space to balance out the sun or you're adding extra sunlight to And because if you think about, let's say it was a whole day shoot or two days shooting in this church, Mm -hmm. well, the sun is moving. So the shadows are going to be entirely different places if you have sun blasting through these slats. So you have to continually be adjusting your lights to make it look like the sun is in the exact same spot. Jesus.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying, even though you're using lighting, you're also using the sun. And because the sun is moving, you have to dynamically adjust your lighting. Exactly. I mean, that sounds like a
1: nightmare.
0: <laughs> he sure does it well, though, doesn't he? Well,
1: because if you think of, you're in a space with these slats and the light is coming through the yeah, slats, it's you're gonna have sh- and you're going to have shadows everywhere. Yeah. But that's not actually what we see. And we get to watch Eli, we've watched Daniel Plainview work, do his work, and now we get to watch Eli do his work. Mm. What do you think of Paul Dano's performance in this sequence?
0: <laughs> I, not, for me, nothing less than absolutely insane, almost disturbing the first time I it, saw it. It is. And uh, almost repellent the first time I saw it, and then... I just fell in love with him as an actor. He leaves everything there and is, I don't know, I just, it's just crazy to me how effective he is.
1: The build is so <sighs> perfect. I
2: moved down into my stomach. And my stomach spoke in a whisper, not a shout.
1: Because he starts off so soft and so tender and he goes to this woman... Touch this woman with your hands and caress her. And she has arthritis in her hands and he touches her hands and he's so gentle.
2: Now, I will not cast this ghost out with a fever. For the new spirit inside me has shown me I have a new way to communicate.
1: I agree. I think his performance is astounding because you, you you see as if
2: something takes over his body, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. well, this is the game, isn't it? He's an early evangelist. This is the game. You've got to show them what the coming of the spirit does to you. And then what you see in those churches is people imitating that same thing so they can feel connected, whether yeah. they're inducing it through their own mind. Like, the you know, sometimes you can be very influenced to, to do these things so you can feel part of a group but he is essentially showing how he's different than everybody else, because he's able to kind of feel this power of God in such a obvious way. You know, does he feel the power of God? Hell no. I don't think he feels the power of God at all. (laughs) I almost feel like there's a
0: pretty equal line here that you can draw from Daniel to him. Mm. The same thing. Maybe he does a little bit or he thinks he does a little bit, but that to John's point, that kind of becomes beside the point. He's too far gone. He's too far in. Yeah, he 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 he's got to convince himself that he feels God's word mm. because he's in. He's got to. He has to get what he needs to get. Similar, right. slightly, I think, to Daniel. It's just pathetic, almost watching it, but really impressive too at the same time.
1: Mm. Roka, you've mm. been on stage sometimes, yes. I'm sure, where you were acting. Obviously, you're, but did you feel real stuff?
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Did you feel
1: taken over by the spirit of what was in the scene?
2: (laughs) No, but there is a thing that happens that when you're really dialed in, you've done your work correctly, and you're feeling the connection with everyone else on stage, you can forget that you're in front of an audience. That has happened, for sure. And I think one of the most uh, uh, incredible moments was when we were doing, back in college, we were doing um, uh, The Crucible, Mm -hmm. and uh, Tituba was late to the stage by like five minutes. So, we essentially were improving Arthur Miller on stage and to f- cover up the fact that the actress hadn't shown up yet for her entrance. So we were so all of a sudden we were thrown into a boat in the middle of the sea, and we needed each other to survive. So, in that moment, I forgot there was audience. I forgot there was a stage. We were just so focused on each other, and all of a sudden, this kind of electricity happened uh, on a night where we didn't anticipate electricity in that scene. And it was incredible. So yeah, those are those things that when That's you're cool, when you feel it, you just go with it. Yeah.
1: So I think Eli is feeling stuff.
2: Okay. What he believes
1: about what he's feeling is a, is a different sort of question, but mm. I think he does feel taken over by, you know, by the improv, let's say not say by the spirit, but let's mm-hmm. say by the acting, he, he feels a lot of emotions and his parishioners say they've been healed. Mm-hmm. If they didn't say they've been if they didn't believe that they had been healed, he, his flock would not be growing. Right. And again, I think it goes to, you know, Daniel harnesses some of his negative things for good. I think Eli might be an atheist, but he also part of him is believing his own bullshit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's evidence to it. Yeah. And the other thing that we should mention is who is watching this performance but Daniel Plainview.
2: <laughs> yes. No, I've got a question for you, Steve. Do you think Daniel Plainview is jealous as he watches Eli, or does he see like? How can I? It? I how can I say this correctly? Sometimes in the schmoedown, uh, which is what a movie trivia competition I do, when I see the young bucks come in and try to imitate what we do, and we're so good at what we do, it frustrates me. It angers me, especially if they have an audience. Then I go. Mm-hmm. Wait, why are people liking this? This is you. So it's so easy to see through it. But what you don't understand is when you're watching it, that person is touching something or clicking or checking the boxes for these people, and they like the way they do it. So when I'm watching uh, uh, Daniel here in the scene this last time, getting ready for the podcast, I thought to myself, is he jealous, or does he think this guy's beneath him, and he's angry that he he's being threatened in a way by this guy's power in the church?
1: I I, I kind of go back to something that uh, I said in the first part mm. when he first r- recognizes Eli for what he is of you know don't bullshit a bullshitter right I think he's I think he is watching this performance well I, I think two things one is I think he goes man this guy is really doing it right He's really going there and I think two is again the. Daniel's bullshit is in the service of a good because he is bringing in wealth, actually right. something real. Right. This guy's bullshit is in the service of bullshit, you know, of himself, yeah. of himself mm-hmm. you know. Um, and by the way, the the as Eli starts to get, quote unquote, taken over by the spirit, the 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 dialogue, the things he is saying.
2: You will be cast up and thrown in the dirt. And back to partition.
1: And the way his body moves, it's almost a dance. Mm-hmm. And and later on, we see uh, that he practices this, <laughs> you know.
2: And as long as I have teeth, I will bite you. And if I have no teeth, I will gum you. And as long as I have fish, I will bash you now. Get out of here.
0: Well, I, for a second, though, to interrupt you, Steve, what is that? Those th- words he's saying, mm. I, I don't know. Is this actually from the Bible or really? is, is this his own creation? Because it, please tell me it's his own creation.
1: <laughs> I don't know the answer for certain, but I think so. a lot of this is his own I creation. I will gum you. Yeah, I, I don't remember. God. I'm not a biblical scholar, <laughs> but I don't remember anything about gummies. I either. don't either. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> well, what's so weird about some of these faith? And this was, you know, this was, and to some degree, continues to be a real thing. Oh, yeah. You know, like th- things like this. And what's weird to me is the connection between the the Christian evangelical faith healer and the uh, Native American, mm. or you know, the, you know, the shaman, the the, and and also there's all sorts of charlatans throughout history you know who will you know remove an eel from someone's body and say this is what was causing you the pain and they do all this sleight of hand and stuff and and here's the thing is the placebo effect is real like it is not a bullshit thing and if you go through this intense emotional thing and see that this person is moved by god your arthritis does probably feel better Mm. He just drives towards the entrance to the church and casts out whatever demon this is. And I love the way it's shot because he kind of goes by Daniel Plainview, but who's in the frame, but not important in the frame. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back in and then we stay on Daniel Plainview and we just sort of, again, Paul Thomas Anderson does stuff you're not supposed to do, which is we see little bits of Eli's hands, Hmm. you know, but not the whole thing. Normally that's a, that's a no-no in in cinematography because it's like, well, I either want to show this person or don't show them. It's weird Mm -hmm. to show just a little piece of them coming in and out of frame.
0: Eli, Tragedy at the well last night.
1: Yes, I heard. Joe Gunder was a man of considerable faith, so if you wish to say a few words, his burial's at noon tomorrow. It's interesting to me that he is now really almost in back-to-back scenes, giving him the opportunity to do the thing he denied him the opportunity to do just a few scenes ago, which Mm. is to say a prayer. Daniel, this accident could have been avoided.
0: (laughs) Stick it in. (laughs) Stick the knife in.
2: Twist it.
1: And then they proceed to essentially talk over each other. Terrible to think yes, of that well, well working, working away up there and they need the
2: If they don't have, it, they start to make stories I've
1: seen stories. some of the men drinking. Plainview is kind of talking about working double shifts, and he's talking about the practical aspects of the accident and the well and what it means to the community. And Eli is talking about the spiritual aspects and what that means to the community.
2: Don't you think we God need has these men well rested it? to bring in this well? They can't get that. If they're up here listening to your gospel and then the well can't produce and blow gold. I wish I house. had more time with Joe Gunda. More could have been done.
1: And they really never they never hear each other at all in mm-hmm. this scene.
2: This is a dick measuring contest. That's why they talk over each other. It's about like who's going to who's no you're not going to tell me i so it's just, it's a battle for power. And so dudes do this All the fucking time. Uh, Dudes will absolutely get into this kind of battle about who's yelling the loudest because that person is apparently the most right. And so you're trying to get the last word and you're trying to get that other person to back down. So it happens all the time. I
1: love, too, that Plainview keeps going back to the money that he is bringing to the town, (laughs) which is the story he has told himself,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: even though maybe he's not really going to deliver on that. But I love how he says it. Then the well... Can produce and blow gold all over the place. And he repeats that phrase. Why do you think he keeps hitting this point of blowing gold to Eli? I'll tell you. My, you want me to tell yeah, you my yeah, answer? Yeah. Uh, because I think what he's saying is, I know you're full of shit. I know you're only interested in the money. Mm-hmm. I am telling you the one thing that you actually want. Don't waste my time with the stuff I know you don't believe in.
2: And because that was how they got connected at that meeting with, at the table, right? It was like, yeah. I want the $5,000. I want $10,000. Know, and so also you know, the, yeah.
0: the money from the from the well yeah. fuels the economy of the town, fuels, you know, reduces the problems. It all feeds into Eli's what he actually he's basically saying, yes, yeah, Steve, what you're saying is shut up and let's just figure out some way to just connect here so that we yeah. can both be, be profitable. It's almost like he's tossing him a bit of an olive branch and he's like, just, yeah, OK, let's work <laughs> together a little bit. Um, yeah. Something like that. But yeah. it's never going to happen. Well,
1: but you know what it is? I think that's totally right. And I think you know what it is, is that. What he's saying is just come to me without the god bullshit. <laughs> and then and then we'll be cool and and I will accept it what's going on. And Eli is saying the only way for us to deal is through the god stuff. Mm-hmm. I won't call it the god bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um and so both of them are in an impasse. What I mean the reality is if they just again I think I said in the last part if they just said hey let's work together Yeah. They oh. would both totally get what
2: they want. Yeah. yeah. But then we don't have a three hour movie. But yeah, absolutely. If they, fair they, point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they, Yeah. I mean, it's right there for both of them to work together, but each one of them wants to be the one that dictates the terms of the relationship. And that's the downfall of this relationship.
1: Yeah, I love the end of the scene, which is that we talk about the fact that they're going to build a new church because the congregation is growing, which is Eli's way of saying, I am succeeding, yeah. you know, and, Daniel's last line was that was one goddamn hell of a show." <laughs> There's so much in that line because we have the blasphemy yeah. in the that he's saying in the church, and he calls it a show. It's show, yeah,
0: you call it a show. That's all you need to say. Yeah, you're right. It's almost like he's picking his words so carefully. I don't think he is. I think mm-hmm. he's just speaking because that's who he really is. But it's super offensive. He's yeah. super offensive.
1: Oh yeah. As we mentioned before, if you're a supporter on Patreon, sometimes you have an opportunity to ask some questions Mm. right in our episode. And this question comes from Matthew Gramlich, who says, there is something really charismatic about Daniel Plainview, despite his terrifying self-interest. A lot of attention is given to what a bad dude he is. So I'm curious, what, if anything, you admire about
2: him? Um. I'll go first. If you don't mind, I, I admire his single minded determination to achieve success. Oh, you know, we, I know we vilify those people and, and, and rightfully so a lot of the time, but there's also a bit of admiration that you're able to kind of extricate any other complications, relationships, what have you out of your life, if it doesn't serve you getting to that ultimate goal. And so I envy that as someone who's striving to succeed myself I envy that kind of single-minded determination um, to achieve. So I love that, and uh, and there's a power in him that a lot of people don't have. There's no questioning in Daniel Plainview. He's very clear about what he wants to do and where he wants to go, and there's no indecision. And I appreciate that myself personally.
0: I would look at him and say he's willing to do things I would never be willing to do. Forget mm. about the time. You know, I don't live in 1892, or whatever, but. Mm-hmm. Being going yourself to dig a hole in the ground to try to find silver with all of the issues that surround that having a gun on your back because you're likely to be attacked and killed. And if you do find silver, you know, he's willing to sit out there in the cold, fall in the pit, break his leg. Mm -hmm. He's willing to do all this because he has to succeed. I don't think. I'm capable of that. I'd be like, fuck it. What else can I do in this life? You know what I mean? And so I admire that in a way, yeah. but I don't admire it like, man, I wish I could be that way. It's like, well, right. you are a specific kind of human being and there's a lot of, you, you, we need them and in mm-hmm. certain forms for progress, but at what cost, right. gentlemen, I ask
1: you? <laughs> well, that's yeah. the big thing. I mean, yeah. I, think, I think Daniel Plainview is filled with, maybe the majority of his qualities are admirable qualities mm. he is incredibly disciplined hardworking physically emotionally and mentally tough yeah he is determined he is brilliant he deals with adversity he overcomes adversity he continues to drive forward he doesn't quit like he like all of those are qualities that are admirable mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the motivation and it is the ruthlessness and it is the the sociopathic drive towards success that is the problem mm-hmm. but if you but if you if you remove that then this is the hero you know right mm-hmm. like he's
0: not looking to destroy people he's not looking to hurt people he's really mm-hmm. not looking for anything else but self you know focused uh, success and you know greed which is fine mm-hmm. um and ultimately it's interesting to wonder if he didn't run into an Eli type or something like that uh, how would his life unfolded probably exactly? the same at the bottom mm-hmm. of a bottle, you know, lying on the ground somewhere. But um, it's just That's like, point. he's sort of empty. He's got all this great stuff and nothing actually else, nothing right. actually who, what does he think about to himself yet yeah, just about his business and his next success? I don't yes. see him as having anything else there to tap.
2: Well, yeah, and that's a great point you make, John. I was, I was recently watching The Irishman again, and I know people, nobody runs to watch a four-hour movie again. What season? (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one i I haven't heard that one, but yeah i was watching it over three nights i just was in the mood to watch it and i broke it up over three nights an hour or something and i it struck me like this whole story you're seeing these people who are badass in the prime well i mean D-Aged to the prime of their lives doing the things that they're doing and in the end you end up with a with a fucked up foot sitting in a nursing home waiting for pudding or you're playing you're, – you're old playing – you're throwing the ball, bocce balls or whatever. They're in prison. You're like, what was the point of it all? Do you know what I'm saying? You, you rode high in the world, but in the end, you're by yourself. Your daughter won't talk to you. Your wife is dead. Your friends are uh, you know dying themselves. And it's like, what was the whole point of it if you can't have some kind of peace at the end? And right. these guys aren't in peace. And I think Plainview will never be at peace because he had never addressed the, those demons inside of himself. And I think you're right. Success or failure, he would have ended up at the bottom of the yeah. bottle sitting there uh, pathetically on the bowling alley floor.
1: Yeah. Um, I know we spent a lot of time on this question, but mm. I, uh, for me, I think the critical thing and the critical moment, which is about to happen, it's all about H.W. Mm. If he has H.W. in his life, I think Eli is a passing irritant. Mm. Because and we you know we asked this question in the beginning. Does he love H W? How does he feel about him? Right. I more and more I go. I think he does love him, mm-hmm. and I think it is his shutting down of that love that sends him on the on the on the into the worst possible timeline. You know, <laughs> um, that's what I think. It's dawn. It's later, and Daniel is spying on the construction of the new church, and then we see Eli. Practicing his moves, man, (laughs) in front of the pulpit. I, you know, as a a performer, I practice my moves. Yeah, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. Um, And we're at the well, and we've sort of reached the turning point of the film.
0: But I mean, hold on, just just you you saying that, Hmm. just that fact, the practicing the moves, it really is an exposure of Eli. It really is. It kind of tells you all. I mean, what. Godful preacher would ever do that. <laughs> ever. Like you would never do that, right? Like if you if you really had the oh, power right. of, yeah. of God and you just knew, you would know. You would have to just know, well, I'm just gonna do my thing and it's going to happen. Practicing it is almost an affront to that idea, like in my opinion. And maybe I'm I'm reading it wrong, but to me, it's a huge tell for
1: Eli. What? I, I think it absolutely is. But I also think, you know, priests throughout history have practiced their moves. Yeah. Exactly. You know? They've practiced their well, just,
2: at the least, Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and, like, you think of the Catholic Church, and it's a big show. I mean, there's all this ritual, there's music, there's timing. Is that commentary I'm saying
0: on the entire Catholic Church?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I think you know. that goes for any religion, right? Exactly. Any religion. exactly. Yeah, not just I mean, the Catholic Church, yeah.
1: I mean, uh, John and I, you know, like, you don't think the, the rabbi went and practiced his right. moves? Right, of course right, he right. did. Man, I would yeah.
0: hate to sit in on that. That sounds like the most boring <laughs> thing you could ever sit on is a rabbi practicing their moves. But <laughs> I digress. Sorry for interrupting.
2: Well, remember, um, remember in Footloose when she walks in on him practicing his sermon, right? Laurie Singer walks in on John Lithgow. He is practicing his sermon. He's doing the slamming of the hand at a certain moment. He's wailing, and she catches him when he does this thing. Are you guys right? fans so, of that movie? I love that movie. The original oh, oh yeah. my god i hate that movie what how it. can you hate so footloose? who hates footloose me john. this
0: guy right here much to my wife and uh and son's chagrin i just cannot deal with that movie. <laughs>
2: what? Uh, I, what?
1: i have not seen that movie since probably 1990 i think uh, a great challenge I, would be to have john back on the show <laughs> for please, oh no. <laughs> um so we're working on the drill and there is a rumble And someone starts to yell, and HW is sort of perched above the drill. And suddenly there is the explosion as gas flies out. It hits HW. He gets thrown, hits the ground, and you see him grab his face in his head. Mm -hmm. And this is the turning point right here at this moment. The there's a gusher of oil. he and Fletcher, they climb up to the roof where HW is not quite unconscious, mm-hmm. and we go into this moment where the sound becomes very subjective. Ah! And for the first time on the Cinephiles, we have a professional sound person. I wanted to ask you: what is the process in terms of in creating a moment like this? What are you preparing? in terms of going into the mix, is is it handled differently from other kinds of moments you might be working on? Well,
0: I mean, I think for something like this, you know, we we did work on this at Skywalker and Chris Scarabozio is a sound designer. He's fantastic. Um, I can only imagine, I've never asked him about this specific situation, but generally these are kind of the big moments and I'm sure you guys know this too from your experience, where you're going to have a chat with the director beforehand and like, it's kind of like, okay, you know, we need to convey the fact that he's going deaf from this moment. And of course, sound, I mean, you know, sound of metal, like, was well, sound of metal a great movie? It was pretty good. But the whole, oh, the sound is so great is very easy because that is what the movie's about. And to be able to play with, can hear, is it good or bad? Those things are pretty easy to do. But in this, it was very complicated, very convoluted and seen. But I'm sure the goal, I'm, Paul is not like, Oh no! Do this, then do this, then do this. I'm sorry. I'm sure he said like, make me believe he went deaf and make it you know mm-hmm. interesting. And so that was really what he did, playing with you know him on the thing in his ear and what he can hear. Um, but that would be a sound design moment. That's what we would mm-hmm. call that. That's really like so the sound designer. I think we chatted about this last time. Maybe we didn't. You know, they're going to be in charge of these signature sounds. So if a guy has a sword made of light and it goes in the star wars movies like what does that sound like those things are the most important things for the sound designer to tackle first with the director before the editors start working before all this like yes i like that this could have been if there is a scene in the movie this is the scene that would have been the one to check out so it's a sound design moment is what i would call
1: it I don't think people realize is that when you're getting doing sound for a film, you're gathering all of these layers of sound. It's not just like one sound or two sounds or three sounds. It could be hundreds of things that are going on and that you have, you know, multiple things that are the ambience sounds like you might have the wind, the sound of the machinery, all these things that to build up or the sound of crickets and the sound of distant traffic or whatever it is yeah. to build up that sound. You have all the layers of Foley, which is the footsteps and fabric moves. You have all that sound. You have the dialogue you have. And you and my guess is that when this moment was done, they had the elements to do it realistically. Mm in the mix you know what i mean and then you adjust oh yeah yeah Uh,
0: absolutely and you also have the element of no sound i mean that's another Mm -hmm. thing that you can use you know, like in the, the thriller movie where they're looking around the house and all of a sudden you're like, where's the room tone? Like they've killed everything. That's when, you know, the jump scare is coming in like mm-hmm. a half a second to remove all the sound and put it back in. But in this, yeah. So what they had, what they would be looking at would be, okay, so the gusher happens. That itself, what is it breaking? Is it breaking dirt and ground? So we're going to have some, whatever that sound of that is. And then this of the actual oil coming. When it hits the wood part of this, there's that wood kind of crack, cracking and splitting and flying. Then there's all that. And then there's impacts of the body and things like that and the residual liquid sounding drips. All of this stuff is usually prepared by the editors, you know, as best they can. And they're going to try to come up with, this is how I like hearing it in my room. And then the mixer comes in and says, okay, well, I think we need more of this. And they carve it out to be the most graceful uh example of that moment, and you know a big deal there is don't just keep adding things that 's never the path to success in fact the path to success a lot is removal of things so um, there's someone here I can't remember who said it. it's like remove all the sounds that you don't absolutely need and then then you might find it you know remove all those things that are in the way of actually what this emotional thing needs to be so that's mm-hmm. the mixed process is where it really gets whittled and where the director and the picture <laughs> editor go yep and then we move on to the next scene
1: yeah and in a case like this it could be incredibly musical really yeah mm-hmm. you know that there's this frequency is going to pop out at this moment mm-hmm. and that and that has some like there's some grinding sound or something that has an emotional response yeah um i think this is handled really beautifully yeah me too i also w-
2: w- w- i wonder what he's saying Paul Thomas Anderson by switching our point of view to the child right in this moment, having everything go deaf, have everything go silent, having, you know, Daniel cover his ears or whatever, like we're hearing it through his, uh, he, we're experiencing the deafness of the shock of the deafness yeah. through the child's point of view. And I wonder if Steve, as you said, this is the turning point it feels like we've gone through the looking glass out to the other side. Like this is the new reality. Now the new dimension, yeah. the new universe we're going into. We were, we were in this universe. We understood it. Now we've gone through some portal to another universe and we see what's going to happen for Plainview view going forward because of what happened to his child HW here. 100%. It's interesting. Um,
0: well, it's starting to interrupt Steve. It's just hmm. as a father, The most horrifying way you could shoot this would be Daniel, if I'm, you know, if I'm the father of just staying on me, the father, Mm -hmm. because that's the horror here is seeing your son go through something and you, you you can't help him. Switching to HW is really interesting because it does feel like there's some, because we don't, we're not in his perspective ever. Mm -hmm. This is it. And so why are we in his perspective for this? Mm -hmm. I'd never thought about that before.
1: Well, I think while Daniel Plainview might have uh, complicated feelings about the reality of his love for H.W. Mm. and might and might on some level have convinced himself that he doesn't love him, even though I think he does. For H.W., there's no ambiguity. He mm. loves his father. Right. His father is a fucking hero. Right. His father is a truly great man. And you think about the intimacy of his relationship mm-hmm. with his dad. They go everywhere together. And so dad is coming to rescue me. Right. You know, my hero is coming. Um, And in this moment, uh, they're covered in oil. By the way, the oil is made apparently from a very similar kind of oil that McDonald's uses to make their milkshakes. Yeah. That's Um, ironic. Isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And what they had to do, and these are the weird things you do make in movies, is they had to come up with different formulations of the oil to do different jobs Mm. like how viscous is it how well does it go through the air how well does it stick on skin or stick on metal or stick on other things and so they had to continually reformulate in order to make this all work um which i think is funny and they used tens of thousands of gallons of this milkshake oil wow in order to pull all this stuff off (laughs) the music is very percussive and very dissonant Daniel picks up HW and he carries him away, and we stay with him as he runs across away oh, from the derrick. What a shot. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And exhausting, yeah. by the way. Mm-hmm. You, I, you know, HW is not a small kid, <laughs> and to run holding a kid and maybe do more than one take, that's a lot. You're safe, now. It's not two you years You're safe. Let's go. And HW won't let go of it. Tell me where it Tell me where it is. Tell me where it is. Did you see this? No. H. W. says, "I
0: can't hear my voice. <sighs> Were
1: you hitting the head? Were you hitting the head? Tell me. You have to tell me if you will. I can't hear my voice." And we know immediately right. what's gone on. And as he's dealing with his son, in the background we see the Derek. and we see it explode into flame. So they only have one shot at this. They had one Derek. They burnt it once. So, anytime you see a shot where there is the fire in the background, that's when they shot it. So, they had, so now we have, so they have multiple cameras of the Derek going up in flames. And one of them is in this inside the mess hall or whatever in this really intimate moment Mm -hmm. with the Derek in the foreground. So, you're the kid and you're Daniel Day Lewis acting out this moment, knowing this huge explosion is going to happen. And if you don't get this scene right in this take, that's it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You can't do it, you can't ever do this again.
2: Well, I also think it's important to note that we've been talking the whole uh, so far, the first part and a half, about Daniel's actual feelings, right? A connection. And there is genuine, and John, I'm sure you can speak to this, and Steve as well, there's a genuine father reaction here where he's like in in between he's in tears almost and he's like you know out of his mind and checking with him is you he hitting head are you okay tell me now but you know he's trying yeah. to get this situation he's trying to find out what's going on yeah. with his child And i think if if he was really a, a full-on sociopath i don't think he'd care because totally. but, but the fact that he does shows that there is a heart inside of all this yeah. madness of daniel plainview he does really care for hw and i think the symbolism here when he runs back and that thing is on fire. By the way, de- the cinematography, Jesus Christ, it's gorgeous here. But the explosion, the, that's the explosion of their relationship. It's it's, yeah. f- it's foreshadowing what's going to happen here and how Daniel will essentially set it on, all on fire and burn it to the ground.
0: Because you know? there's a, there. let's be real for a second. Mm. There is a clear path to keep well i don't want to spoil anything but to we spoil everything Continuing to live with your deaf son as a rich oil magnate there's worse realities in life like people do this it's and the fact of what's about to happen that it happens that's the net that's Mm. that tells you ever there is no discussion after that for me
1: right so, obviously, burning this oil, it was a, a big deal. And so they had to do some tests to see what it was going to – so they built some things to test it out. And one day they built a fairly big one, lit it on fire. Huge amount of smoke went up. A couple of miles away, another movie shoot uh, had to cancel their whole day of shooting because there was so much smoke in the background. And that's no country for old men. Had to Love shut it. down for a day because they were testing this. And here's the thing. So we're, they really burned this. They had one shot at it. Mm. That meant they every shot they needed, they had to get while this thing was burning. Yeah, And they had initially this idea that they would be able to put it out and then relight it the next day. Oh. And then as it starts burning, they realize, no, that's not going to work. Never. And so I don't know how long they shot. They might have shot 20 straight hours just trying to get every single thing they could get while this thing was burning. Yeah, And one, and one of the things that happens is is if you watch it, you'll notice that the, that the daylight doesn't match that sometimes it's more daylight than right. it's dark than it's daylight again. It's because they're just running around like crazy, trying to get all their shots while <laughs> this thing's burning in the background.
0: I love that. I love that so much because it's the antithesis to Marvel movies, which I know you guys are working on how you're going to integrate. And I have a lot to say. I have, a, I have a lot that I don't like about a lot of them. And part of it is wow. this, there's yeah. no stakes there's no stakes for the filmmaking there. Everything's on green screen and CG and yeah, you know, not to digress too much, but the fact that they have this real actual limitation and that it's not actually a limitation, it's a benefit. It's so much better that it's actually happening and driving these performances and stuff. It just takes a, it's just a different thing. These are not the same things like the Paul Thomas Anderson productions Hmm. and a Marvel film. And, And I think it's worth just, Understanding that as someone who loves film and watches film, these are not the same kind of thing. You're looking at something that is almost part a play in a way, you know what I mean, with yeah. constrictions of that. So I appreciate yeah. you bringing that point up, Steve.
2: Can we also discuss the music? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The music is almost tribal. Yeah. right? Like the drum beat. Yeah. And it's like this thing is happening here. It's almost like an offering to the gods, a sacrifice of an offering to the gods. And maybe this is the sacrifice of his last human connection, which is his son, is what leads to the success of Daniel Plainview. Ultimately, he's had to burn this relationship to the ground. In order to, so it's just you know, and of course, as we do on the show, maybe I'm reading into it too much. Who knows? But this is such a great music cue, and I've thought the whole time as I'm watching it. And he maniacally laughs at his as it's burning to the ground, which is a really weird re- reaction. And he's almost picking up Kieran Hines, going, "What are you so miserable? I Got an ocean of oil underneath our feet." So it's almost like it's not even a tragedy to him. It's almost something that he's excited about in some strange way. Right. Uh, and another part of this Stephen I wonder, and Stephen John, I wonder what you guys think <clears throat> all of a sudden after he screws Eli somebody dies, this thing goes up in flames. Is this a little bit of espionage by Eli Sunday's uh mm. fervent religious followers? you know the you know when you work wow. with, the, when you work with people who are this dedicated to you in terms of the religion, And remember, this is what Daniel wanted to stop them doing was to getting close to his workers, indoctrinating them in the religion. Maybe there was something here that was done in the background to make sure this happened.
1: Uh, Okay, I never, ever in my life have had that thought. (laughs) I can't think of any reason why it's not possible. I don't know that there's any level that Eli wouldn't stoop to to get Mm -hmm. what he's trying to get. I don't know. Wow.
0: That is, that's interesting. And there's, I thought you were going to say, is this sort of actual, like
2: religious? Yeah. Yeah. Is this actually an
0: act of God? Is it like an affront? I don't know. There's a lot of stuff here. I think the way I always thought of it is shit happens. Shit happens (laughs) in these situations, especially when you're dealing with no safety precautions, no nothing. And I just sort of see it as, this shit happened, but man, that that's an interesting thing to think about. Both of those
2: things, well, and, and another part of this, when you mention John, as you say it, the religion, you know, in the Bible, it, when God appears, sometimes He be, appears in the New Te- in the Old Testament as a pillar of fire. Mm. That's
1: so, a great point, right? Wow.
2: When you so when you are looking at this, it looks like a pillar of fire, and the fact that Daniel is the one that stands back and watches them light the dynamite to stop the fire completely, uh, it's almost mirroring this relationship between him and Eli that yeah. he is going to put you, out you, this that's religious a, fire.
1: So let's just take that pillar of fire moment. Mm. Is because because as I said, I think this is the turning point in the film. And I think let's say let's say that there is a god, mm. and there is this is a sign, and this is him telling Daniel Plainview something. Mm. This is his opportunity to choose his son over the well. Right. That's right. the opportunity he has right now. Yeah. And in this moment, it is so painful. Is he peels himself away from HW? Yeah. And it says, wait here for me.
0: You wait here. for me. I'm going to take care of you. Wait. Stay here. Stay here. I'm going to fix you. Don't leave. It's going to be fine. Stop. Wait for me here. Hold Please.
1: it down. Hold it down. And that moment is so painful. Yeah. And, and what's terrible about it is I don't know what I would do. Hmm. You know? Like, this is a really scary disaster that's happening. And Daniel Plainview probably is the only one that can solve it. Right. And are you going to walk away from your kid and they're most vulnerable? And you know,
2: I, you have responsibilities. I'd have done exactly what he did You make sure someone know. is there I don't with think him. I would run have. off and make sure, okay. I, and that's I think, that's, I and that's think, where you guys are dads, and I'm I just remembering exactly. when I was, I mean, my kid is
0: 16, driving around cussing like a sailor now, so it's a little <laughs> different. But when he was young and vulnerable, and I had that <laughs> feeling where I had to protect him and I had to make yeah. sure he was okay, it was a very real feeling for me all the time. Like, I don't know why. It just was. And so I would like to think that I would take him with me. Um, Mm. But regardless of whether this is God in a reading or not, I do think that your whole, your point of this is the moment. This is the moment you make the decision how the rest of your life is going to go. He makes it. And he makes it. And then we we find out about that decision soon after.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, But he does go out, as you said, the cinematography is beautiful, the light of the fire, the smoke, all of it looks absolutely amazing. Um, And now Daniel takes charge, you know, Uh, by the way, one thing that I found funny is when they did do reverse shots after the fire was done, Paul Thomas Anderson lit them with like (sighs) flamethrowers. Like normally when you do fire is you get a little flicker light that's electric. That, that creates the illusion of fire. Mm. But he wanted real fire. So, <laughs> so he's got like flamethrowers bursting in front of them. So when they're like kind of red faced and squinting, it's because it's really fucking hot. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. I expect no less. <laughs> um, also by the way this movie strangely enough was carbon neutral which means they had to find ways to offset all of the carbon they put into the air making it
2: oh my god <laughs> that is funny
1: <laughs> and the derrick starts to fall down and by the way they they realized suddenly that the, the it was probably going to fall on its own hmm. and they had it hooked up to a crane there's a wire going to it and so they went if we don't pull this thing right down right now in the direction we want it to go it could fall anywhere. Right. And so they went, we got to pull it down. They pulled it down. Again, this is all live happening. HWOK. OK. Oh, yes. But he doesn't go to him. He mm-hmm. could go to him at this moment. Right. And then we see them loading up some dynamite. And I think the first time you see this, you're like, what the hell are they doing? And they put dynamite into these metal... Uh, drums and they put it up right into the fire and the way they set up the shot it's like a one point perspective which mm. means it's two lines that meet at a point and the point is the well is the fire where the explosion is going to be right. but Daniel Plainview's positioning is directly in the center of that one point perspective so it's a really formal oh. looking shot mm. and there's an explosion and the fire goes out
2: puts out the pillar of fire
1: yeah And then you cut to, I think, maybe the most loving shot in the movie, him cradling H.W. both covered in oil. Mm. And H.W. is like making these noises. And he's whispering, can you hear me? And H.W. makes noises and he keeps saying, that's enough.
0: Mm. It just dawned on me that it's very possible. I mean, it's possible that Daniel thinks he was temporarily deafened. Uh, yeah. and that you know like oh are you okay okay you're allowed okay you're gonna be it's possible i don't know um which would maybe explain a little bit of okay i'll get back to him in a little bit maybe i i don't know um
2: i'm sure every father would want to hope that so it would, it's not yeah the wrong yeah you would right? you would always
0: yeah. veer towards that and then when mm. it starts to not be playing out that way yeah You do what you got
1: to do. Here's something is that we kind of framed it as he made his choice. When he pulled away from his son to fight the fire, that's when he made his choice. Mm. It's never too late. And this is what's so sad is that, yeah, he made that choice, but then he's cradling him right now. Mm. I think he, he feels that once he's made that choice, he made the choice as opposed to, no, you still could have been a loving parent. Yeah, You still had a chance. Yeah,
2: I, I don't think he fully makes the choice until he, sends him away yeah sends him away i think that was that's the final yeah that's horrible moment because that's such a horrible decision but like he's trying and you know we cut we cut to the scene after he's stroking his hair that you know the uh, ear doctor is coming in and you know HW is kicking and screaming and boot and daniel's trying to hold him for the doctor you know and so trying to get him to kind of accept the situation trying to fix him you know
1: and now we're at the well, mm-hmm. and Eli walks up. Mm-hmm. And the sense of dread, and the sense of, oh, the two combatants are coming together is really powerful. And Eli walks up looking very determined, comes face-to-face with Daniel and says,
2: When do we get our money, Daniel? Oh, God damn it! Okay. <laughs> all the times to come in, you know. <laughs> I...
0: Go. I was going to say something. I have nothing actually to say. I want to hear. What you guys
2: say.
1: <laughs> I had to say for those of you who are not capable of watching this, there were about seventeen emotions that went across John Dreamer's face at that moment. Uh, is that? Do you think Eli purposely is not asking about HW? Like I that I am purposely doing that for sure. I think so too. For sure. And what does Daniel do? But slaps him. Just full on fucking slaps him. And this is the thing. So there was very little rehearsal for this scene. There is this is not choreographed. <laughs> they did it twice. It is it's just full on. This is real. I mean, there's just nothing, there is no stage combatiness about this at mm-hmm. all. This is Daniel Day Lewis wailing on Paul Dano. Even the shot where he, he, he slaps him and Eli kind of goes down a little bit and then he hits him from above, yeah. like swings down at him and is yelling at him. Aren't you a healer and a vessel for the Holy Spirit? When are you coming over and make my son here again? Can't you do that? And Eli's fighting back. Let me bless the world, Daniel. He drives him into the mud. Oh,
2: you owe the church. Of the third revelation! 5,000 stars! Oh. of the few that we made?
1: He drags him by the hair uh-huh. into the mud, God. drives mud into his face, and I am sure that if you're Paul Dano, there's a moment where you become scared.
2: Sure. I mean, his screaming is just fantastic. Because he's almost regressing him to being a child himself. Yeah,
0: I would imagine if I'm cast as a bit part in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. And then boom, boom, boom. Nope. You're going to be probably the second biggest part as well. And you're working with Daniel day Lewis who clearly had to sign on for this decision. Yeah. 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 I think your head hurts when that, when the hair pulling, but it's the greatest moment of your fucking Mm. life. You are probably giving in completely scared a little bit, probably, but I would hope, I would hope that you're just giving it up. You're just letting mm. him do his thing because you, you trust him. Because um, to me, it's it's uh, such a scary scene for me. Yeah. It's really scary. Right. And I'm right there with you guys. This one mm. leaves me a little speechless, shockingly. But uh, th- th- this scene is just so powerful.
2: I, I also think the, um, the costume design is great here in this moment. I bring this up because he has unusually long feet. <laughs> and when you're for the I don't and I don't know how big Danny Lewis's feet actually is, but in this scene, the combination of the hat, which is that has the wide oh, long yeah. as the big brim and the feet, the his feet stick out so far from his body that in essence, he's. He's I don't know what to describe him as, but he's this unusual looking creature in that. moment. And he sees Eli walk. He watches Eli walk up to him. He watches him and he's like, oh, just it's almost that thing is like, oh, please say the wrong thing. Please fucking say the wrong thing. And he does. And Daniel just absolutely uh, spanks him in essence. Yeah. uh, And then buries him. And he says, I'm going to bury you on the ground, but buries him in the mud and, and what have you. It's a horrific scene because you're kind of in Daniel Plainview's camp for a majority of the, of this first part of the movie. And then when this stuff starts to happen with yeah. H.W. And then this moment where he's slapping in, you're, you're like, oh, man, he's going too far. This is going yeah. too far. You know, um,
1: I, I I keep going back to this idea of the pillar of fire is this is the mm. pil- this is another moment of a choice, because I think mm. what happens is that he chooses As the most important thing in his life, his anger at Eli over the love of his son, right? And and, and, or maybe I'll put it something differently: is he can't deal Hmm. with the his son and the love he feels there, and so he redirects all his pain and all of that into anger at Eli, right? Right. Um, By the way, what Karen said when we were watching this was she's she said, "Well, this is just two batshit crazy people going at each other." Yeah. Paul Dano, by the way, said, and partially because they didn't do a lot of rehearsal, is he never knew what Daniel Day Lewis was going to do. He didn't know if it was going to be, sometimes it'd be big, sometimes it'd be small. He just, it was, he had no idea. And then we cut to Eli's family having dinner, and he has not cleaned the mud off of his body, Mm -hmm. which I think is, which is literally his shame. And then he lays into his dad. He lashes out at him.
0: Cy- cycle of violence.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: totally. You are a stupid man, Abel. You've let someone come in here and walk all over us. You let him in and do his work here. And you are a stupid man for
1: what we could have had. What's so funny is Eli was in charge. His dad wasn't in charge. Well, of Eli made the deal. And then, oh, this moment.
2: You're lazy. And you're stupid. Do you think God is going to save you for being stupid? He doesn't save stupid people, Abel. Do you think that
1: sentiment, A, is one that Eli believes, and B, is one he would ever express in front of his congregation?
0: No. Uh, I think he's full of shit, and what he's really saying is, I was stupid, because Mm. he fucked it all up. His assumption that it was quid pro quo, whatever, that he was going to get. He thought he was dealing with a normal person and thought his Machiavellian streak was stronger than anyone's in that town because it was until Daniel got there. And so he fucked up. He did not navigate this in the way that he could have because if he had really thought about it and served Daniel and, and said, how can I... Basically came to him and played Daniel's game for the money for the church. He would have had the money. He would have had the church. It, it, they would be coexisting. But his hubris, his pride, his plan did not work out. And there's no one to blame but himself. Yeah. Now his dad could have sold it to someone. But you're right. Eli was in charge of the entire yeah. exchange.
1: And he lunges across the table. <laughs> gets on top of him, and it's really reminiscent Mm -hmm. of what Daniel Plainview did to him. His hands on his face, he's calling him stupid and weak, and he Mm. also blames Paul.
2: It was Ah! your stupid son! It was Paul who told him to come here. I know it. He went to him, and he said, my stupid, weak father will give away his lots. Go and take him, and you let it happen. But yeah, in essence, as as John just said, the cycle of violence, the same thing that um, Daniel just did to to Eli. Eli is doing to his father. So it's like the stronger, always, you know, taking it out on the weaker in his mind. And he attacks an old man, you know, across his own table in front of his own family and mounts him, you know, and grabs his face the way that Daniel Blainview was grabbing Eli's face and then cries about Paul and says it was Paul and stupid man, stupid. So it's an anger in Eli that Paul is still, Still, Paul did one-up him. Paul did get the best of him. Paul did put him in this situation where he got embarrassed. uh, And then Paul left him to stew in it. And so he's so angry about it all. It's it's,
1: uh, More and more I'm going, man, there's themes of fathers and brothers in here. Fathers and sons, yeah. And what's interesting is it just occurred to me, too, well, we know that Abel beats Mary. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm,
1: Abel mm -hmm. probably beat Eli and Paul, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah. so this is now the adult son dominating the abusive father right, you know right
0: something tells me i don't know why but i feel like he didn't beat eli he did beat paul that's partially mm. why paul left oh. and i feel like uh, i don't know it's one of the point. other you know right either he mm-hmm. snapped and then he no longer is or he didn't but either way yeah, like eli that. is uh
1: well certainly when we meet eli eli already has dominance over his family Mm -hmm. in terms of his religious power in some way so that's that's been established for a while right uh workers are arriving and we kind of follow this guy in a hat and he goes up to daniel who says i'm henry plainview i'm from fond du lac i'm your brother From another mother. (laughs) By the way, I find it so, that (laughs) phrase coming in this period, it doesn't quite land the same way, does it? By the way, the actor is uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. I think he's great in this movie. I love
0: that. I love this guy. You heard about my strike? You just show up? Our father's
1: dead. Ernest died, I heard. I wanted to find you. When? Three months ago. And he's got a letter from Annabelle, which is his sister. Mm -hmm. Clearly Daniel is entirely cut off from his family. He doesn't know anything about uh, what's going on back home. Mm. You came all the way from Wisconsin to tell me this? Coming from New Mexico, I've been there. So spoiler alert, this is not his brother. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who met maybe Daniel Plainview's brother, Mm -hmm. but this is not him. I think he lies, we've talked about lying many, many times (laughs) on the cinephiles, this is a good lie. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't say, yes, I'm from Wisconsin. He says something else that sounds more truthful. He, and then the moment that he asks... Did you know about me? That is a very sort of intimate and vulnerable question mm-hmm. that a brother might ask. Mm. And then it's later and we hear more about his story that he had been in jail. I worked on a chain gang for six months building roads. That, that was a very hard time. And what I like too is he asked Daniel questions. Daniel does not answer. Are you married? What were you in jail for? And while this whole conversation is happening, H.W. is watching them. Mm -hmm. I think trying to figure out what's going on in H.W.'s head in this part of the film is really difficult. Mm. It's later on, this scene is so upsetting to me, is Daniel pours a whole bunch of booze into milk and forces H.W. to drink it. Why is he doing this?
2: I don't have a, I don't I don't know. There's only there's eating? only
0: there's only one possible reason that's to make him fall asleep to stop yeah. to stop being a problem. At yeah, least for a few hours stop being a problem in my world or let yeah. stop whatever it is get just turn off.
1: Yep. I just it's so it's such a weird form of abuse. Mm. it cuz it was a lot of booze, forcing that much booze down a little kid's throat. So what do you want, Henry? And Henry says two things. He says... Nothing. And then he says... If you can spare something, I, I can work for you in any way. And then Daniel calls him on it. Just answer me directly. You say nothing, then you say you'd like to stay and work. And it's better.
0: i just like to hear you say you'd like to be here. I'd like to
1: be here. I think it's so interesting that in Daniel's mind, he just lost his son. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he's, he feels that HW is now gone on some level. And at that moment, he replaces him with a brother. And we have Eli, Mm. whose brother Paul has gone away, but still has a, so there's a, and we have the father who is dead. And Eli has the father who's alive, who he just dominated. It's a lot of stuff in
2: all of this. Yeah. It's a lot of man stuff. A lot of man stuff.
0: (laughs) Man, I, I want it so bad to be like, you know, Happy ending. Everything's over. He lives with his brother and he's really rich and they start an <laughs> orphanage. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
0: But like just something tells you this one ain't swinging that way.
2: No. That's yeah. the Spielberg movie. Yeah. That's, that's right. Um, but, uh, but I do I, – but this actor is – I mean this sequence in the whole film, like the time that he has in the film rather, he is incredible. To go toe-to-toe with Daniel Day like this. And he's so believable, and you buy it and you yeah. think it's real, you know. And yeah. you're, as a viewer, you're caught up in the first time you see this, you're caught up in the tragedy of HW and you, you're following along with HW. Uh, and then this guy shows up and you think, okay, this could be something. This could be salvation. This could help him reconnect yeah. in some way. And it turns out to be a, a fucking lie, man. Are you an angry man, Henry? About what? Are you envious? You get envious.
1: I don't think so, no. You're right, John. This this guy's performance is amazing because there's a gentleness in it. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a very honest softness
2: to him. If you're a smart actor, you understand who's the boss of the movie, right?
1: <laughs> and so yeah.
2: you go, how do I stand out in a way where I'm not doing what he's doing? Yeah, and the smart way, and the way that I think if he's because he strikes me as an intelligent actor. And Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm sure, had conversations with him, as did, I'm sure, Daniel Day-Lewis, with this idea of like, okay, what would the behavior have to be for someone who is trying to get in with Daniel Plainview? And that is to be submissive in a way, a docile, you respond back in a stuttering, kind of a little bit of, you know, just overwhelmed by the greatness of this man. So in a way, you're subconsciously kissing his ass so that he feels more comfortable around you. You know, and Daniel is still questioning questions like, are you angry? Are you envious? And he says, I have a competition inside me. And and like, that's an honesty, an honest, vulnerable thing that he's surrendering in that moment. So he wants to make sure that his brother is not going to try to take something from him or try to take his power from him like Eli is doing. So he wants to quiz him and make sure. And, you know, this guy responds so perfectly. He's like, oh, no, I, I don't think so. And was, so he's very much not threatening Daniel Plainview. And this actor is very much not threatening Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis as the spotlight
1: That's literally just what I was going to say It's it's amazing how it parallels Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The actor and the other actor With the character and the other character And the thing that I think is that I I might say it slightly differently Which is that it's a strange Confident submissiveness (laughs) It's not you're beating me down And I submit to it It's I choose to be submissive You know that's where I want To be in that position Mm -hmm. Okay, you just said the line, let's get to it. (laughs) I have a competition in me. I want no
2: one else to succeed.
1: I hate most people. The honesty in this moment is, I think he needed his brother. I think he's never spoken these words ever. Mm. He needed family, someone he he, putting trust in this guy in a way he never has before. That part of me is gone. Working and not succeeding. All my uh, failures has left me. And I just don't care. That's fascinating, too. <laughs> it's not saying he didn't have a competition in him. He's not saying he doesn't hate most people. Right. He's saying, I don't care anymore. And Plainview wants to find the connection. Well, if it's in me, it's in you. That's the most you are my brother. Like, I think he needs this guy to have, he feels so alone. He needs this guy to understand this about him, you know?
0: Also, I mean, I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, he's being so real with him.
1: mm -hmm.
0: I think Henry is being super real with him too. I mean, I'm Mm -hmm. believing what Henry is saying. Yeah, I do believe that's who he is. Right. There are times when I, I look at people and I
1: see nothing worth liking. I want to earn enough money. I can get away from everyone. And that is exactly what he's going to do. That's exactly what he's going to do. And it's not a good choice. What will you do about your boy? What Daniel Day-Lewis does in this next moment as he takes a long drink. I don't know. Uh, Maybe it'll change. Does your sound come back to you? I don't know. Maybe no one knows that. I'm 100% now on he does love H.W. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is filled with love for this kid. I'm sold, too. Where's his mother? I don't want to talk about those things. And he goes back. His brain goes away from H.W. I think he turns his back mentally. I think he closes the door and goes back to where he was before and says, I see the worst in people, Henry. I don't need to look past seeing them to get all I need.
0: i built up my hatreds over the years, little by little. Having you here gives me a second breath. I can't keep doing this on my own with these um, people. And I just lost my future heir apparent partner. Yeah. And slide on in,
1: bro. And then he laughs. (laughs) And that laugh is... That's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot in there, man. (laughs) Well, Well, and here's what's funny. is like, I think he... I, maybe you guys have had this experience where you know what what you should do, and you know that's what you need, and you maybe even know that that will make me happier or more content, mm. and you consciously do the opposite. You know, I, I, I I've made those choices. Oh sometimes. yeah, no that's
0: comment right. on uh, domestic squabbling and things like that. But uh, yeah, been there quite some time. Know that what I'm about to say. Is going to stoke a fire that doesn't need to be stoked. We want to move on here, but I cannot stop it from coming out the throat and just shitting out all out of my mouth. And then exactly what I think is going to happen happens. And sometimes that happens. I just cannot mm. stop. It's horrifying, <laughs> but true. It's real. Mm. You,
1: sure. <laughs> you you, you know what occurs? You know what occurs to me. I I, I really like. It's so funny because I'm an atheist, but ever since John, you said pillar of fire, uh-huh. I've been going back to you. You could God gave him two chances. He gave him HW, yeah, and he gave him Henry, right? And both of them are lies, yeah. And he can't get past the lies to realize that actually Henry kind of is his brother. Mm-hmm. Henry could have been his brother, yeah. You Just know?
0: stop right there and move on with it, and he's your brother,
1: right? Yeah. And we're inside with H.W., who lights a match, throws it on the ground where he's obviously left some kerosene or alcohol or something. Fire goes up and it goes right to Henry's bag. What has happened? Why did this happen?
2: I think there's two reasons. I think, one, he knows Henry's lying uh, because he looked through the book and all that kind of stuff. And two, he sees Henry as a threat to this relationship with his father
1: yes that's what i think that's exactly mm. what i think too mm. <laughs> by the way it is pretty strange that apparently in this world we have not invented writing so he can't <laughs> write his son a note right. <laughs> you know right. like i this this lack of communication thing it's not actually something that you couldn't have gotten past right. yeah and now we cut to the train mm. and we saw them together on the train when he was a baby
2: All Right. well interesting yeah you
1: just have to go and have a word with the conductor
2: I'll be right back. You stay, you stay here. You understand? You stay here.
1: And he touches his face and he walks away. It is so fucking awful. This thing that he does. Yeah. And he's walking away from the train and the train starts moving and HW is in the train and looks around and the dawning realization of what his father has done. And he runs to, you know, the door to get out. And there's Kieran there who grabs him and holds on to him. And then the train is gone. He's sent his kid away. Hmm. Oh, man. And now we meet another oil guy, (laughs) H.M. Tilford. And and the first thing he asks is, how's your boy? And I love that (laughs) Blameview says, thank you for asking. Is there anything we can do? Thanks for asking is enough. He, d- he doesn't actually answer the question. Obviously, he doesn't want to talk about this. And these are the guys from Standard Oil. And they want to buy him out. And they're going, we'll make you a millionaire. You just got to sell out to us. What else would I do with myself? Are you asking me? What else would I do with myself? Take care of your son. And I know what he's saying. What he's saying is, you're going to be a millionaire. Spend time with your family. Take care of your Raise your kid. You know, he's not criticizing him.
2: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm
1: but that's not where this is going to go over. Right.
0: Well, yeah, you're right. He's not criticizing him, but he is being a little patronizing. I think just a tiny bit.
2: Daniel, Daniel takes it that way because it's, he sees it as anyone telling him what to do. He won't have it. Even if their intention is a good intention or their logic makes sense, he won't be dictated to. And the big issue is shipping.
1: We don't dictate shipping costs. That's railroad business. Oh,
2: you
1: don't own the railroads. It's funny. I just, about a year ago, read a biography on, on Rockefeller. Mm. And th- it is absolutely true. This is how they crushed and bought out all the competition, standard yeah. oil, is that they can they, they had deals with the railroad that all of their oil would ship way cheaper than everybody else's oil. So basically, they ruined all these other businesses until they had no choice but to sell out to standard oil. And that's how they became this massively huge monopoly. Wow. Was controlling shipping costs.
2: Yeah. Um, Not to make a a weird connection, but that's how kind of Vince McMahon did his thing in the WWE. He went into other territories and crushed them territory by territory by paying more money for their bigger stars and signing them to exclusive contracts only with the WWE because he could have distribution of their product and content on a wider scale on TV and on closed circuit. So, yeah, this is how it was done.
1: You yeah. you heard you heard it here first the very first Vince McMahon John D <laughs> Rockefeller comparison ever in the history in the history of the world I believe was on the Cinephiles. Ew. Um It's also by the way this is Amazon today. Amazon oh, right. crushes everybody else by controlling shipping costs by reducing the you know they they undercut everybody else's prices and they're impo- and they that's why they are a giant huge monopoly today.
2: Mm. Where are you going to put it all? Build a pipeline, make a deal with Union Oil, be my guest. But if you can't pull it off, you've got an ocean of oil under your feet with nowhere to go. Why not turn it over to us? We'll make you rich. You spend time
1: with your boy. And there's a moment, (laughs) and he says, You just tell me how to run my family. And they don't pick up on the fact that something weird just happened right away. And then Plainview says... One night I'm gonna to come to you
2: inside of your house wherever you're sleeping, and I'm gonna cut your throat.
1: He's
2: so angry. I mean, God. <laughs> have
1: have you had this moment, by the way, where you're what? there's a thing going on, and like suddenly someone uh escalates to a whole other level, hmm. you know? You're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa what's happening here? Like, we I didn't know we were talking about fighting, like what's going right. on?
2: Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. You know, I think you know oh, the story, right. Steve.
1: I, I, yeah. yeah, I have witnessed this with you, John. <laughs> um, and yes. I've had this too, where I suddenly was like, whoa, whoa, hey, let's yeah. make friends. Yeah, I this thought
2: is... we were busting balls. What happened? Yeah. yeah. Like a scene and, out of The Sopranos. <laughs>
1: and the performance from the guy, I forget who the actor is, uh, his, it is so realistic. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. sort of. What are you talking about? Have you gone crazy, you know
2: Dan? I, I heard what you said. What did you, you don't say? Don't tell me about my son
1: do you think that maybe there's a bit of a raw nerve about this kid he just put on a, on a train and sent away? Uh yeah. <laughs>
0: but I think also don't ever try to comment even on Daniel's life. Don't yeah. judge yeah. him ever. Yeah. Like he's fine judging everyone else cuz he's constantly doing it. He's about he's doing it with these guys, right? Yeah. Now. Right. It's not fair game to him. To be turned
1: around, you know. You know, just just when you said that, John, what occurred to me: he is repressing the horribleness that he knows he is. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and so anything that tends to expose that, he's actually extremely fragile and vulnerable Mm -hmm. in these areas. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're back with the realtor, and we hear again that something got hinted a long time ago, something about the bandy tract, and this is the guys that wouldn't sell to him early, that wanted to speak to him directly, and he says, okay, I'll go go out and talk to them. And then we have just a very brief moment where he's talking to uh, you know, his number one man about... How big is his room?
2: Why are you sharing with another boy? Who? An older boy, got 12? He's been there for a year, named Ballard. How big is the room?
1: Oh, it's a fair size. (laughs) What's so crazy is that, I think his name is Fletcher, asks if he's going with Henry, if Henry's going with him to meet Union Oil. And it's a totally small moment, but I think he's jealous. Mm. Like, how did this brother come in? And I'm supposed to be your right-hand man. (laughs) Um, And then we see Henry and Daniel surveying the land from the bandy track, heading all the way down to the ocean. Again... The redundant note I have is the cinematography is amazing.
0: Here's the Union Oil. 100 miles of pipeline and all independent go. producers of this great state. Oh,
1: and then what is to think one of the most surprising and bizarre transitions is that suddenly we're underwater. And we're swimming. Daniel and Henry are swimming around and we start reminiscing.
0: There's that house in Fond du John Hollister build. Do you remember it?
1: And I love, this is both good writing and good acting. Henry's response is "Mm." (laughs) hmm. And Daniel again continuing to reveal parts of himself in a way he's never done with anybody else.
0: I thought as a boy that was the most beautiful house I'd ever seen. I wanted it. I wanted to live in it.
1: And eat in it. And clean it. And even as a boy I wanted to have children run around in it you can have anything you like now daniel and you should where you gonna build
0: it here maybe near the ocean would you make it look like that house
1: and this moment is so telling he says
0: i think if i saw that house now it'd make me sick
1: why would it make him sick
0: i can only guess that he's like we talked about or conjected about, you know, his father and his Mm -hmm. past, he wanted all these things as a kid, like as a kid, he wanted that, but now he can't even be in that world anymore. He has to, he, yeah. Like he, he doesn't want to recreate the painful past or the lesser past. Yeah. I'm not sure which one is more driving, but he's just like, no, now, now (laughs) it's moving forward here. But really, it feels like what he's really trying to do here, or maybe he's not. Maybe he hasn't quite gotten to the. I'm going to set up a trap for you. Yeah, I don't know if he has or if it's just happening. But yeah, it's a horrible moment in the movie for
1: me. Here, here, here's what I think's happening. Just about the house is, and your interpretations make perfect sense. But what I think it is is when he was a kid and he was poor, he looked at this nice house in the neighborhood and went, "That's what I want. That is mm-hmm. what." success looks like right now in the position he's in now those are the people he looks down upon those are the people he has hate for that disgust him and so that's why I think if he looked at that house now it would make him sick yes
0: small minds small visions pathetic or lesser than
1: yeah and because what he's saying is my dream as a kid was dreaming of something which today Mm. uh, disgusts me Yeah. yeah And then this next moment, because Henry says, hey, let's go get some liquor and get some girls. And Daniel, reminiscing about the town he grew up in, says, take him to the Peachtree dams.
2: I say get liquored up and take him to the Peachtree dams.
1: And Henry just kind of says,
2: "Yeah."
1: I think this is the moment. Yeah, I think this is the this is the Fredo moment when he took Johnny Ola here all the time. That or Johnny Ola took me to this place. Yeah. I think this is the moment where he goes, How can you not know about the peach tree dance? That's not possible. Mm-hmm. And the look from Daniel, mm-hmm. it hits him. It's it's literally, it's just like Al Pacino in that scene in Godfather 2. It hits him, yeah. and you could see all this stuff, and I love the framing of it because they're sitting in almost exactly parallel positions with Henry in the foreground, and Henry is deep in shadow. Because that's not really his brother, you know? Yeah. So he's in the dark. Daniel is in the light. uh, And Mm -hmm. Daniel gets up and he walks away. The music is dissonant. It gets stronger. It builds. He heads into the light. He goes into the water. And he's looking like almost right at camera. And this big wave comes up behind him. And his face is just filled with anger. And I think the first time you see it, you're just like, what's happening? Yeah, you know, it mm-hmm. just it takes you watching it more than once to go, oh shit, that's the moment. Yeah, and we hear laughing, and Henry is drunk, and we're obviously like at a whorehouse, and he's asking Daniel for money.
0: some money, please.
1: And finally, he counts out the money and hands it to him. Do you think he's already decided to kill Henry?
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Or at least he's decided he's a fraud and he's out, but maybe he yeah. hasn't decided to kill yet, but he's negotiating that. The money feels like part of it.
2: To me. Say, I think I don't know if he's decided to kill him physically, right. but he certainly decided to kill him inside of his heart or right? any remote emotional connection to him for sure. Uh, and I think the... It was all just, you know, this has been building with the last couple of scenes here with his responses to things. Do you know what I'm saying? He's pushing the boundaries, Henry is. He's trying to approach it from a simple point of view, and this man is anything but simple in terms of his intelligence, and that's where Henry eventually betrays himself.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's night. Daniel gets up. He has a gun. He looks down at Henry, who is passed out. Mm. I mean, this guy was seriously drunk. I mean, I've been woken up when I had had a night of partying. (laughs) I've never been woken up quite like this. I want you to tell me something.
0: What? What's the name of the farm next to the hill
1: house? he repeats it. What was the name of the farm next to the hill house? I can't remember who are you. And Henry doesn't deny it. I think that's part of why he's such a great character. He says, yeah. I'll leave, Daniel. Do I have a brother? And this is where we find out that he met Daniel's brother. Daniel's brother died of tuberculosis. Daniel, I'm your friend. I'm not trying to hurt you. Never. Just survive does he think of Dan as his friend?
0: Yeah, I think so. I do too. I, or at least he wants to be. He's certainly like, I'm just lukewarm water coming in here. I just want to get by. I can ally with you. It can be fine. I do believe that.
1: I think, you know how he, he came to get a job. I think he's gotten the job of brother and he's going to do a good job. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, like he's determined to be a good brother. To Mm -hmm. Daniel Plainview. Yeah. And there's just this look from Plainview. And then he puts the gun up against his head and fires it. Yeah. It is so horrible. And the thing I was thinking as we've been talking is he's not killing him because he lied to him. Mm. He's killing him because he gave him his trust. Because... Henry is now the holder of his secrets, yeah. of his intimate self, and he can't be allowed to survive.
0: Right. Daniel never gives, never shares, never opens like that. And he, he was also deceived in an emotional way. Yeah. It all, it, there's no path to going back for him.
1: Yeah. He digs the grave and puts the body in it. And the moment, by the way, that he he pushes the foot down into the grave mm. is just so brutal um, we see the that the diary is partially burnt, and he's looking through it, and he's drinking, and he just is overwhelmed with emotion and weeps.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is such an like he's murdered somebody. Yes, he, he's flat out murdered somebody. He sent his son away, you know. And but there's there's a for all his madness. There is a desperate desire to connect. Is it overtly desperate? No. But when it's betrayed to go all the way to murdering somebody and somebody who probably would have just kind of walked away and never darkened his door again um, was an interesting decision to make of where he's at. And the tears are coming, I think, from that deep place of like, I have created this thick skin to survive in this world, but I'm lonely and I'm alone. And even when I think a family member shows up, they're lying to me. Right. And like the betrayal of it all. You know? Do
0: we agree that this is the first murder that Daniel has committed?
2: Ooh,
1: good question. I, I, I don't think it is. Hmm. I think he had that gun at the silver mine. I think he used it. I have no evidence for this whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. But that's what I think.
2: Hmm? Okay.
1: Um. here's what I find really interesting, is he has a false son, Mm -hmm. and in a way, the false son's who he puts his love into, and in a way, the false son's deafness, the accident, is the betrayal, Mm -hmm. you know? And so he pushes that false son away, and then he has a false brother who he puts his love into, discovers he's false, and has to destroy him. And
0: ironically, both of these... Are repairable problems. Yep. <laughs> both yeah. of these relationships that can thrive. The yeah. rest yep. of he, he could have made, made both work and actually had a super rich life. Yep, yeah. that's the pain point here is that he can't see shit. He cannot see this, yeah. and it's just nope. Turn off that faucet.
1: Moving on. And frankly, he could have just given Eli the five thousand dollars. I mean, just because he doesn't like the guy or respect the guy or thinks he's a charlatan doesn't mean that. His life would have actually been better if he had just made the deal. So here Daniel had everything he really needed for a happy life, including a son that loved him and a a brother that, albeit a fake brother, actually, I think, really cared about him. And instead of having those people with him, he's a murderer who is weeping uncontrollably and drinking himself into a stupor all alone on the beach. And I think we should leave Daniel Plainview on that beach as we end part two of our exploration of There Will Be Blood with our very special guest, Emmy Award-winning sound editor John Grieber. As always, we'd love to hear what you think. Just visit us on Facebook, do a search for The Cinephiles. You can follow the show on Twitter at Cine underscore files, on Instagram at The Cinephiles Podcast. You can subscribe to the show in all the usual places including Apple Podcasts, where we'd love to get your reviews, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, where we love responding to your comments. You can buy or stream There Will Be Blood, along with every other movie we've ever reviewed, on our website, cinephiles.net. You can support the show on patreon.com slash thecinephiles, where you can hear our weekly shorts and even suggest a movie that we do. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at SRMorris, on Instagram at SRMorris1. You can follow John at, at the Roca says, and listen to his other great podcasts, The Top Ten Show and The Geek Buddies. And of course, you've got to subscribe to his YouTube channel. And if you want to follow our very special guest, John Greber, his handle is split surround. And that's it for this week, but we will be back to conclude our exploration of There Will Be Blood right here on The Cinephiles.